For many tourists who have traveled to Boston, Massachusetts, there's one particular place high on their list of attractions. It's the Bull and Finch Restaurant and Bar, which may sound unusual until you realize that that was the inspiration for a popular TV series called Cheers. How many of you can remember Cheers? Okay, this, this dates our audience pretty good, I think. I, um, this was a series that ran from um, September 30th, 1982 to May 20th, 1993. Now, that's a total of 275 half-hour episodes. But what made the show such a hit was the, the, the crazy, memorable characters and funny stories and one-liners, whatever. In fact, one word could sum up what made this such a popular show. It's the word community. The word community. Community is defined as a feeling of fellowship with others that occurs as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Now, at Cheers, everybody seemed to care about each other and support each other, accept each other, even their weaknesses. And it was the kind of place you just want to kind of go and hang out. There's something about the spirit of fellowship. Relationships, the sense of belonging and support and encouragement. Something about sympathy, especially when you're down and going through heartache, having understanding. It's something about all those things that deepens our lives and anchors our souls. However, the fellowship pictured in shows like Cheers pales in comparison to the truest and best and clearest picture of community that's ever been presented. The new community better known as the local church. Now, I don't know if you think of our church that way or not, but this, this, as you read through Scripture, you began to sense what Jesus' vision for His church was. In fact, we're going to go there. Acts 2.42, beginning with verse 42, and on we follow that to 47. These early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that was communion, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And listen to this. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anybody as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, there's a lot in those verses. In fact, we could talk a lot about this topic. But one thing that we see clearly here is the kind of community that Jesus Christ had in mind when he established the church. It's his church. It's not our church. It was his. It was his idea. It was a place, where, it was supposed to be a place anyway, where you can love and be loved. You can know and be known. You can serve and be served and celebrate and be celebrated. Now, these things are indispensable to your spiritual life. So let's take a look at them. I'm going to look at all four of these real quickly. First mark of this new community, it's called the church, was it was a place where people loved one another. They were loved, and they were able to share that love. Listen to verse 42. They devoted, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to the fellowship. Now, here's that word again. Now, the word Luke used is the word, a Greek word, koinonia. And it has to do with companionship. It has to do with a, a type of sharing and connectedness that with another person is very special. It's an expression of enthusiastic love. People interacting with each other and never assuming the worst. Not giving in to suspicion. I like what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.9 when he reminds us that it is God who has called you into this kind of fellowship, koinonia, with His Son, Jesus Christ, our love. So the idea that we want to talk about in this particular habit is the habit of fellowship. True koinonia happens when people are completely lifted up and completely accepted, completely supported. And loving this way means we learn to see other people as God intended them to be. But that's not all. It's also a place to know and be known, the second mark of this new community. Listen to verse 40, or 44. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Now, now try to picture this. These people are sharing. They're, they're talking to one another. They're visiting. They're revealing things. They, they, they tell things about themselves. They are confessional in many ways because they know they can share what's going on in their heart and have an atmosphere of acceptance in the audience and of indication. And granted, not the whole audience perhaps, but ones that they've gotten to know better and you know them. It's this idea of deliberately getting to know members of your congregation. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. The early church was being reminded that everybody has weaknesses. And true fellowship with others allows you to stand up and say, you know, my name's John, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. Or my name's Betty, and I've got cancer. Or my name's Steve, my marriage has fallen apart. My name's Carol, I just lost my job. My name's Bill, and I'm lonely. And they could do this with freedom, knowing that there would be hearts open to them, prayers being lifted up on behalf of them, and a fellowship that was intimate and close with special friends. But even more, real community is not simply revealing who we are, but for that revelation to be in safe hands. Do you know what I mean by that? That means being with people you can share some of your deepest longings and hurts, worries, sins, and know that those people will not share this with everybody else in the world. Powerful, powerful testimony. you got grace and love and support. Then the third mark of this kind of Christian fellowship is that to be served, or to serve and to be served. And Luke describes this as he goes on in the next verse, verse 45. They sold their possessions and goods and gave to anybody as they had need. There was a spirit of generosity, a spirit of giving. I think that spirit lives in this church. I don't know of, of a church that is so sensitive to the needs of others, out, not even in this body, but outside of this body. The budget that we have for benevolence is amazing. Week after week after week, we find resources in the benevolence box that enables us to, to answer prayers and help people financially during the week. And you have given those, those resources, not knowing exactly how they'd be used, but God uses it. The final mark of this kind of community is not only these other three, but is to celebrate and be celebrated. Notice how he ends this summary. He says, They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God 
and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here's a group of people, brand new believers, brand new Christians, getting together, having fellowship. They were in each other's homes. They shared meals. They laughed together. They talked together, enjoyed life together. Ultimately, if you look ahead in history, they'll also go through persecution together and heartache and loss. It was so good to have other folks want to be Christians in that type of community. But the problem is this. For many people, maybe you know some of them, that's not been their experience with the local church. Maybe you came from a church much different from what I just described. An example of a church that was in Louisville, Kentucky, front page of the newspaper. <clears throat> they had had years and years of discord, division, and turmoil, which finally erupted one Sunday into fistfights between members that took more than a dozen Louisville police officers to end. Isn't that something? Now, my encouragement to you, if you guys want to fight, take it outside. You don't do it inside the church. That's tacky. The reporter had every right to be sarcastic when he wrote these words. Who, these people who shortly before had been lifting up hands in praise to God were raising hands and fists against each other. Now, we hear these horror stories. I, I am so grateful that that, uh, that does not have really application to us. But while some churches can at times be poor examples when it comes to fellowship, keep in mind, Jesus Christ came to establish a new fellowship. He came to establish a new community of people that wasn't just like everybody else's. He said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. It's Christ's church. He died for this church. He died to establish it. And his church was supposed to be distinctive and unique. This new community was to be built upon healthy and loving relationships. It was to be marked by a sense of acceptance and one that looks at people, imperfections and all, and we try to nurture wholeness and spiritual maturity in Christ for everybody who chooses to be a faithful member of such a fellowship. But sadly, a lot of people don't. John Stott, in one of his books, told about a Scottish preacher who, on a real cold winter day, he went to visit a member of his church who had kind of drifted away. And he went into the home, and the man sat down, the minister sat down with the man by the fireplace there. And nobody said anything. He never said a word. The preacher never said anything at all. He just sat there for a little while. And then the minister reached out and took the tongs from the fireplace. And he reached into the fire and he got hold of a red hot coal that was still flaming. And he brought it out of the fireplace and he went over and he, he set it on the hearth away from the fire. And he laid it down. Never said a word. But after a few moments, you know what happened to the coal. It began to just fizzle out until finally there was just nothing there at all. It just turned to cold gray ash. And then he reached back, got the tongs, picked up the, the uh, dead coal, and he put it back into the fire. And in just a matter of seconds, it flamed up brightly again. And then the preacher got up and left. Neither had said a word through the entire visit. 
But the point must have been made because the next Sunday, the man had returned to his church family. How do you develop that kind of, I mean, in, in, in our context, how do you develop that kind of fellowship? The only way I know of is first you've got to join one. You've got to recognize that this is a family in a sense, one of many. Churches all across the world are worshiping, even as we are. There are different time zones and different nations, different languages. The church is everywhere. The Bible teaches in Romans 12, 1, In Christ we who are many form one body, and each member, hear this, we belong to each other. Further, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.19 that as Christians, we are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Members of God's household. That's awesome. In these verses, several things jump out. One, the church is supposed to be like a family. Now, we've all got families. There have been many times, I'm sure, in our lives when we'd like to trade in our family maybe for another family. I don't know. You know, but there's no perfect families for sure. But that's a, that's a great deal. The church is a family. We look at it this way. And God, number two, expects all believers to be members of the church family. And three, if you're a Christian without a church family, that's a contradiction. It, 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 it doesn't make sense based on what we learned from Scripture. And not only does becoming a part of God's local community express our obedience, it also moves you and me into a, a position where we can participate and have a committed, a committed mindset towards our participation. I mean, to be blunt, the church doesn't belong to us. Again, we belong to the church. And a commitment to church membership can be one of the most significant and defining moments in your entire spiritual life. However, while such a decision gives you access to this new fellowship, it's only the doorway, it's only the entrance, because the power of relational life has still got to be embraced. You've got to, to get into it to appreciate it. So I want to take a look at what those benefits are, the power and benefits of our relationships, because they are powerful. When the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Christians in Ephesus, he reminded them that sharing life together in the church with other believers would enable them to do some things. Listen to this. They would become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then they would no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, what will we do? When all things will grow up into him who is the head of the church, that is Christ. For from him, the whole body, the joints held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. He is describing the amazing unity and power of something called synergy. Anybody know what synergy is? It's an interesting concept. Um, let me illustrate. Did you know that two horses yoked together could pull 9,000 pounds? Ever been to a truck or a horse pull? I've been to tractor pulls. In Kentucky, we had horse pulls. And these, these horses would, could do amazing things. But did you know that well, let me just ask you, how many horses do you think it takes 
to pull 30,000 pounds. A lot of difference. Two horses can pull nine, but four horses can pull 30,000 pounds. Now, how is that possible? It's this word synergy. And it is a popular word. It was, at least it was at one time. It was coined, I think, by uh, the Wealth of Nations book that was written by Adam Smith. And he made the decision way back when he was writing this. He said, it's amazing what can happen. Ten people working individually can produce 20 pins. I think because we're building pins or whatever. But 10 people working together, not individually, could produce 48,000 of those pins. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's great if you, have, if you need pins. But this concept of synergy has to do with every aspect of our lives. A married couple will talk about the benefit of having a Christian counselor to come alongside of them. An athlete will talk about the benefit of having uh, a trainer or coach. A business thrives and under the power of teams. And when a Christian develops the habit of fellowship, when he or she enters into spiritual relationships with other believers, the impact can be amazing on several fronts. Let me suggest just a few. Number one, you're going to be challenged when you get involved in relationships like that. Nothing motivates us and influences more than being around other believers who may be living their spiritual life at a higher level than we are. And we should gravitate to these kind of people. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. But not only are we challenged, we're also encouraged. Hebrews 10, 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're challenged, we're encouraged, but we're also held accountable. It was the philosopher Socrates who said that the unexamined life is not worth living. But I would suggest, I'm not Socrates, but I would suggest that Christians should go beyond that. We need to be reminded that the unexamined spiritual life is not able to be fully lived. You're missing out. Every Christian needs accountability. Who are you accountable to in your life right now? Who has the permission to ask you hard questions about your decisions? Do you have anybody that you regularly meet with just to touch base, see how things are going? Chuck Colson once wrote about the power of this kind of thing because he had a regular gathering with a small group of guys who ask each other, each time they got together, they just meet, have some fellowship, then they ask seven questions. Here they are. Have you been with a woman anywhere this past week that might be seen as compromising? Have any of your financial dealings lacked integrity? Have you viewed any sexually explicit material? Have you spent adequate time in the Bible reading and praying? Have you given priority time to your family? Have you fulfilled the mandates of your calling as a Christian? And the seventh question is, have you just lied to me? You know, being part of God's church should offer every believer the opportunity to experience some form of accountability, which allows us to be honest, transparent as we live life together. 
And then we're also getting support. We're supported. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and 10, familiar passage, I'm sure. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. And if one falls down, his friend can help him. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him. Your challenge is needed. Accountability is needed. Encouragement is needed. Support is needed. And faithfully participating in the life of Christ's church can open the doors to all of those. The key, though, is being willing to add meaningful relationships to your life and never, ever settle for the superficial. Don't be like the two guys that had a conversation in the foyer of their church. Any resemblance to our church, I've changed the names to protect the guilty. All right. So how's it going to work, Jake? Fine, Phil. Say, you driving a new car? Used. By the way, what do you got going on this week? Oh, not much. Well, great fellowshipping with you, Jake. Same here. And he went out the door. Now, that, that is superficial, really surface stuff. And one really, really good way to avoid developing those kind of superficial habits is to be part of a smaller group of Christians that are part of the church. You know, usually in the summer months, our church schedule is a little bit more relaxed. But we're already thinking about the fall. Always through the summer, we imagine how we want a group, a small group options to be in September and on through the fall. Um, we want to make sure that everybody has a chance to be a part of something other than just the corporate body of believers who come together to worship uh, on the Lord's Day. That, that's, that's, that's the larger gathering. But every one of us needs to be a part of a smaller gathering. And we've had, uh, recently, we've had a class went on downstairs and was, uh, taking people on Bible tour of a, in a holy land through a, a, a neat video and a great teacher down there. Uh, that's a fascinating study. Some of you, how many of you were in that? I know some of you were here. Okay, and a few others. And it's really neat. But it was not just for the learning and the study part. It was fellowship. It gave us a, it's like a Sunday school class. It was, it was a smaller group within a larger group. We have classes and groups that will be meeting in the fall uh, in different locations. We're always looking for suggestions and ideas. We really are looking for hosts, someone that will be willing to have us come into their home and uh, have time to fellowship together. It's a really, really big deal. We have a monthly men's breakfast uh, that, again, comes from, from uh, September all the way around to May. And the purpose of this is for guys just to get together and eat. Amen? <laughs> Many of you have been there, and we, we, we do. We eat. And, uh, and uh, by, by the way, I don't know of a group. Uh, by the way, I need to mention this in advance because of truth in advertising. Next week, I'm preaching on fasting. And so you can gather all your food and watch it on TV. And then you won't have to be guilt felt guilty by people in the church that are saying, are you really, really, really going to do this? So, and by the way, it was Nick that assigned these topics, so just be ready. <laughs> but no, seriously, you know, you don't have to wait until fall to lay the foundations for this. Here's your habit homework. Are you ready? Here it is. Get your pens and paper out. You can write this stuff down. You got a bulletin. There you go. Sally, hold your pen up. See, there's one of our more godly Christians right there. All right. Here it is. Ready? As you leave today, slow down and look around you. 
at the people that are exiting with you. And as you're doing this, take note. Is there anybody you don't know who they are? Is there somebody here you've not met? Is there an opportunity maybe for you to kind of be friendly? Isn't that a cool concept? And when this happens, then you get a chance, hey, thank you for coming to worship today. Appreciate you being here. Encourage them if they are new, just to stop by the welcome desk. There's a lot of information there about the church. And not only the church, but children's programs, youth programs, everything is right there. Introduce yourself. Make a note to watch out for them on Sunday. Now, don't overwhelm them. You know, don't, you know, you don't do like the Bible says and greet everybody with a holy kiss. All right. I don't think that's appropriate to what we're talking about. Holy hugs are okay. But even then, they might take offense because you've invaded their personal space. So just be, be cool. Don't bother. Just grab your donut, and, and you're ready to roll. By the way, donuts will not be made available next week without permission since we're preaching on fasting. <laughs> now, that's executive decree from the pastor because the person that provides all the food, which is Mr. Mark Moody, is refusing to accommodate what the preachers ask him to do. <laughs> so... So up to now, tune in, you'll see what happened next week. But here's the whole point. When we come to church, don't just scope out your space and get all comfortable or whatever. Look around. See if there's people here that you've not met before. And you don't have to overwhelm them. Just introduce yourself and be in the conversation with them. It's not that hard to do. And when you're in the foyer, do the same thing. It's so vital that we recognize our responsibility in this particular area because the staff is just a few compared to how many of you rub shoulders here in our church. And so I encourage you to take this seriously. Years ago, a pastor was asked to conduct a funeral for a guy who had helped develop the famous Boeing 747 aircraft. And after the service, he spoke with the man's wife. And he commented on how remarkable it was that her husband had helped build that amazing machine. And she smiled and said, you know, the truth is, he only worked on one little switch box, smaller than a loaf of bread. That's all he worked on for 15 years. But then she said this, but when that 747 lifted off the ground for the first time, it was the happiest day of his life. And as he walked away, the preacher got to thinking, wow, he worked on one tiny little switch box for more than a decade. And yet that huge plane could not have gotten off the ground without that guy's contribution. And I wonder how often we see only our small efforts. We see only our limitations. And we feel, well, we're not very important. I'm not very important to the Lord's church. But keep in mind, one day, hopefully one day soon, the awesome kingdom of God is going to lift off this crazy planet and all the heartache and all the misery, all the satanic presence in so many areas of life. And you and I will be thrilled to find that our efforts, all efforts offered in the spirit of faith and obedience were essential because there's no insignificant relationships within the church of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, yet again, another worship opportunity today. Thank you for having a good crowd on both, and we appreciate the 
the fact that people do come out and worship and they want to be a part of something that's bigger than them and more meaningful. But Lord's a big responsibility for us, all of us. It's not just one, but for every believer, we are held accountable for what we do with the gifts you've given us, what we do with the truth that we possess. And so, Lord, help us lovingly and encouragingly and with a spirit of, of just fellowship every week, especially on Sunday, but day by day, that we use every opportunity, that we watch for your movement around us and then help us join you there and help us be a great ambassador for the kingdom of Christ as we witness and as we become friends and as we just celebrate together. May our church always be a place where people come. They'll say, you know, that's a pretty neat congregation because they don't have any question about what their focus is. That's representing our Lord Jesus Christ every moment, every conversation, and to doing it well by His Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.